In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. God, she's beautiful. She's got the prettiest eyes. She looks so sexy in that sweater. I just want to be alone with her and hold her and kiss her and tell her how much I love her and take care of her. Stop it, you idiot. She's the co-host of your podcast. <laughs> but I can't help it. I'm consumed by her. It's been months now. I dream about her. I, I think about her at the office. Oh, Carla, what am I going to do? Carla. <laughs> that was... Wait a minute. She's also your wife. Oh, it's all right. It. <laughs> it's all right to lust after your wife. Is that over now? Well, sure. If you want it to be, <laughs> it's over. Yeah, that was very un- awkward considering was- Benny and our guest were in the room. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I say to you, say to myself about you in all your the head, time. In Michael Caine's voice. In Michael Caine's voice. Nice. Uh, that, of course, was not Michael Caine's voice, but that was a reasonable facsimile. <laughs> Hello, Craig's listeners. I told you we were back, and we are. It's only about a, been a week since we put out the last episode, and here we are again. Can we hold up this level of one podcast a week, Carla? I think we can. We got to. We're so close. You want to power through this list <laughs> by the end of the year. Of Benny and our guest right now, who we still haven't introduced, <laughs> because they're being really funny. Benny is uh, really hyper today, so... <laughs> <laughs> Our guest came in really hyper as well. <laughs> and he brought donuts. Might be my favorite guest so far. Uh, these donuts are giving us a sugar high, which I think will uh, push us through this episode. Uh, this is episode 91, number 10. We're up to number 10 on Craigslist. Carla, we are entering the top 10. We are. I can't wait. We're almost there. These are, in theory... <laughs> The 10 greatest movies that have ever been made that I have watched. In Craig's opinion. In Craig's opinion. (laughs) We'll see if that holds up. Uh, Today we're going to talk about a 1986 film directed by and starring Mr. Woody Allen. The movie is called Hannah and Her Sisters. But to help us do that, (laughs) we have a guest. Maybe one of my oldest friends... In the world of improv. That you never see. That I never see. And uh, he's right here in our house with donuts. He is an actor, writer, uh, impresario. (laughs) He is the impresario behind uh, Baby Wants Candy, a internationally known uh, musical improv group, uh, and a a good friend of mine, Mr. Al Samuels. Yes! Yes! Yes. He can speak. Is the band going to play? Can you sit there? All right. Hello. Hello, Craig and Carl. This is amazing to be here. This is like my podcast heroes walking off the podcast. This is like Purple Rosa podcast. <laughs> guys, I'm in the podcast. We walked so right off the screen and into your lives. This is true. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here, and I love this movie. The Purple Rosa podcast. Purple Rosa. Or is it podcast Rosa? Thank you for having me. 
Uh, it's so great to have you. Uh, yeah, we wanted to have you for a while, and I think we must have had a conversation months and months ago of like, we'll we'll have you on the podcast. And I don't remember if we gave you options or if I just kind of knew that Hannah and her sisters was up your alley. You were driving away. I was running after the car. Saying, Wait, please, no. I, yeah, we must have. I mean, I've known you for so long. Back in Chicago, uh, we did improv for a long time together, um, and then yeah, I think we maybe discussed the movie. It must have been because it is really. Uh, problems aside with the auteur, uh, it is one of my favorite, favorite movies, so I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited you're here because you're probably uh, one of Craig's oldest friends that I like the most. <laughs> yes. Yo, but I, I rarely see just because you're so busy. You're a jet setter. Oh, yes. You yeah. really I'm are. a flight attendant. No, <laughs> travel a lot. You do travel a lot putting up shows. Uh, you've got several shows running around the world now. Yeah, we have, we do. I moved to Los Angeles to write, you know, for TV and film. And then we ended up doing these live shows. One of them is a musical parody of Fifty Shades of Grey, which is still running in Australia That's of all amazing. places, but it's been translated into a bunch of languages. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's so, so bizarre. But then, yeah, so we have one show going in Vienna, and it's it's, it's crazy. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's wonderful, it's, wonderfully crazy. Although I do like just being at home. Traveling mm-hmm. can get tiring. Hell yeah. We traveled a lot this year and, uh, that's why we're kind of able to redo the podcast now at the end of the year that yeah. most of our traveling has been done. Right. But yeah, we you did guys go- are always in, you're in Denmark and. Yeah. We did, but we do like shorter trips, I think, than you guys, than you guys do. Yes. You, you're, you're gone a lot, a lot. That's true. Yeah. We sometimes, we do some longer sit Weeks down. and months. Yeah. Or maybe that's just what they tell us when we yeah. see them at our Starbucks. And I, just go, I just, and I just go to Epcot because I get it all covered. And I'm around the world. Yeah, you can get to Norway and Japan like within an hour. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And Boston Market. <laughs> so this movie came out in 1986, February of 1986. Did you see this movie when it was first in theaters? Yeah, I did. We, uh, I was a film student. Um, we didn't actually have a film major. I was a film minor at our school, but we. We had uh, we'd seen a lot of Woody Allen films, and that one came out while I was at school, and I just loved it. I loved it from the it was it, it, you know we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, but they're just to me there's so many quotable things from the movie that are mm-hmm. so fun, and uh, yeah, so it just and it, it felt I I personally liked it pretty closely immediately better than the rest of the Woody Allen movies that had come before it. This movie, uh, I would have been a senior in high school when it premiered, and this would have been the first Woody Allen movie that I saw in the theaters during its initial release. But I was already a big fan, and me and my group of friends watched nearly every Woody Allen movie on VHS at the time. So I was already a big fan of Annie Hall, Manhattan, uh, Purple Rose of Cairo, Zelig, uh, some of the movies that we've covered already. But this was the first one that now I had kind of like caught up in real time and I was ready for when it was released. So from my group of friends, this was our MCU, basically. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, this is when they bring all the heroes together. <laughs> and it really kind of lived up to the hype in our minds. This was one of his best uh, received movies in, in years. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards. It won three for original screenplay. It beat out Crocodile Dundee. So that was a wow. tough one. Wow. Uh, and wow, it won and <laughs> both supporting actor and supporting actress. Supporting actor for Michael Caine, supporting actress for Diane Weist, uh, in this movie. And it was at the time his highest grossing movie. And, uh, I think we kind of talked about this as the credits rolled, but it is definitely more of a crowd pleaser, uh, with a happy ending than a typical Woody Allen movie. Mm-hmm. Apparently he, 
was not happy with the ending. The executives kind of talked him into a more of a, a sweet romantic ending. He wanted to end on more of a downer note. <laughs> Right, what happened? Because he, he, what was the other movie? You guys have talked about another movie that he had that that they wanted a upbeat ending and he gave it a sad ending. Was it? Was it Purple Rose of Cairo? It might have been. It was Purple I, Rose of Cairo. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder how they talked him into it. <clears throat> and that's why I think Purple Rose of Cairo has is so beautiful because because of the downer ending. I don't know, but it 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 has a a deeper resonance because it it, it ends down. Yeah. But, uh, this is a romantic movie, I think. Uh, and not only in terms of romantic heterosexual love, but, uh, like romanticism about New York City, romanticism mm-hmm. about adulthood. For me, I think, you know, as a, a teenager who was kind of an aspiring intellectual, I kind of looked up to these movies as uh, a mark of like, this is what adults did. <laughs> Right. You know, right. they had affairs in New York and walked in Central Park you know? <laughs> <laughs> with their wool jackets <laughs> and talked about Caravaggio and Freud. <laughs> you know, um, of is... course, Woody Allen is kind of aspirational himself. Like, I think he uh, did not finish college or did not go to college and uh, kind of grew up very working class. He was like a jock growing up, but he really uh, aspired to be considered intellectual and so read a lot and watched a lot of foreign films. And so it's interesting to see, uh, I, I don't know how true to life any of this is that all these New York sophisticated characters are always talking about high art, the opera and everything. Yeah. But at the time it was something that kind of resonated with me of something that was, that I aspired to. There's a, a movie. Have you ever heard of it? It's Metropolitan, I think. Not oh, yeah. Metropolis. Yeah. Metropolitan. Whit Stillman. Yes. I'm a big yeah. fan of Metropolitan. Yeah. It is, it is like Woody Allen. They, they took it on steroids. It is these just like young, indolent, uh, Richies. It's like a mashup of Woody Allen and John Hughes, basically. Indolent Richies. Yeah. Such indolent a great Richies. Expression. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just trademark that, please. Um, but that is, uh, that is that, like that world of people talking about, uh, literary. And there's one character, spoiler alert, who reveals you think he's read a lot of it. He's only really read literary criticisms, but you are, you're like, do New York people really talk and, and, and act like that? And yeah, what he is, what he is aspirational in that way. Yeah. That is a movie that maybe satirizes that a little bit. And I think Woody Allen kind of satirized himself a little more in Manhattan where I think he's making fun of, uh, the intellectual life, but it seems like, uh, it's more taken at face value in, in this movie. Yeah. When did you first see this, Carla? Um, I think I've said this on the podcast before. When I first moved to LA, I kind of did this whole watch of movies that I should have seen and but hadn't seen yet. <laughs> and this fell into that category. So 2002-ish. So I was in my early 20s. Um, this was for a long time my favorite Woody Allen movie. After I first saw it, I had a very similar reaction to what you two are saying, which is felt very moved and also connected to it, even though it's, you know, people in their midlife, I guess, for the most part. But like just the idea, there's just such a great theme of searching for something. Like every character is on this journey of like self understanding. Like what is the thing that's going to make me happy? <laughs> what, what, what's the key to my life or whatever? And I think that everybody can relate to that, even if you aren't, um, a New Yorker. 
There is a part, I mean, isn't there one of the sections called like the big leap or something like mm. that, the leap or whatever. Yeah. And I, maybe at that point of your lives, you're looking, no matter what, you're looking and going like, oh, should I take that leap? Right. Yeah. You know, should I leave my wife for Barbara Hershey or stay in this relationship? Should I go out? You know, do I, do I stay in my religion? Do I, so maybe yeah. that, that's why it resonates to somebody who's a younger person. Yeah, I think so. And I, I probably haven't seen it. I don't know, in seven or eight years. I don't feel as connected to it currently as I used to. And that could be feelings about the director. <laughs> uh, also, it's like kind of just sad to watch Mia Farrow, uh, in this movie. I, I found it to be sad. And I'm not saying that I take her side or whatever, but just like her character never really has that moment where she gets to be strong and like tell everybody to fuck <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a little, as an adult now, you know, much older than I was when I first saw it, like wishing that she had that moment in the movie. Um, maybe that would have made it more artificial and more movie like, but there is, you, it ends and you're kind of like, Oh, that's, she's like taking care of everybody and she doesn't have her, her thing. There, there doesn't seem to be any growth. Yeah. Or she's the same, it seems. Yeah, Hannah would seem by the title to be the protagonist of this movie, yet right. she's really just kind of the hub around which all these other characters revolve. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that she's an actress. Like, she has just gotten acclaim for a portrayal of Nora in a doll's house. We never see her act or be in a theater or anything. Yeah. We only see her in these very domestic situations. So her sisters are Lee and Holly, played by Barbara Hershey and Diane Weist. Uh, Hannah is married to Michael Caine, who has an affair with her sister Lee. Her ex-husband is Mickey, right? Mickey, yeah. Uh, which is played by Woody Allen. He's a TV producer for a very SNL-like show. <laughs> and infertile. <laughs> and he's infertile. They uh, they totally. ended up having uh, twins by artificial insemination through his writing partner, played by Tony Roberts. Uh, and it kind of covers this family over three consecutive years at Thanksgiving and the events in between. And I think because we know so much about their relationship now, Mia and Woody, it's like, it's kind of hard to watch. Oof, it's rough. Yeah. And like seeing the things that he has her say in the film and like kind of maybe thinking, oh, maybe she was this person in real life who just took care of everyone around her and he fell out of love with her because she was just so responsible and in control of everything. I don't know if that's true, but you can't help but go there when you're watching right. it and think about those things and just how like, I mean, when she talks about Diane Weist writing about her relationship with her husband, yeah. with Elliot. Yeah, it sounds so much like, hey, Woody, you're writing about like, our lives. Yeah, it sounds like Mia Farrow Ooh. said that to him in real life, and then he put it in the movie. Yeah, so that's like meta upon meta Yeah, it's kind there. of stomach-turning a little bit. Also stomach-turning, isn't Soon Yi at the Thanksgiving That's scene? what I said, but he it, said that it's not her. I thought it was. I, I, she, thought I it was think her. they're uncredited extras. It's Soon Yi and some of the other Farrow. Because they, they did it in, in Mia Farrow's apartment. Yes. They shot the Thanksgiving scenes. Oh, I didn't know that was her yeah. apartment, too. That's like, her apartment. It's just she would go much. from like the kitchen <laughs> dealing with her kids and then go into the... Uh, uh, They'd be like, we've got the scene set up. Are you ready to come in? Yeah, oh, she go and wow. act. And, you know, Maureen. I mean, Maureen O'Sullivan plays her mom. Is her mom? That's what he yeah. was saying. Yeah. yeah, that's so crazy. So yeah, I think it was very personal for Mia Farrow. Uh, I actually have a couple of quotes from her. 
uh, because she did feel that he had lifted a lot of her own life mm. for the movie. It was the first time I criticized one of his scripts. To me, the character seemed self-indulgent in dissolute and predictable ways. The script was wordy, but it said nothing. She claims that Woody didn't disagree and tried to switch over to an alternative idea, but pre-production was already in progress. We had to proceed. It was my mother's stunned, chilled reaction to the script that enabled me to see how he had taken many of the personal circumstances and themes of our lives and, it seemed, had distorted them into cartoonish characterizations. At the same time, he was my partner. I loved him. I could trust him with my life, and he was a writer. That's what writers do. All grist for the mill. Relatives have always grumbled. He had taken the ordinary stuff of our lives and lifted it into art. We were honored and outraged. Yeah, I mean, for oh, well. sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, what could go wrong? <laughs> and it only got better from there. <laughs> it was all up. Yeah, it is. It sorry, is I'm laughing. It's, oh, I know. I mean, yeah. just to watch with uh, eyes today, watching mm-hmm. it, because I watched it over the weekend again, The really the only person of color in the movie, the people of color, the are, are is the maid, yeah. Who, yeah, who barely has any lines. And then I think some of the kids, yeah. uh, Sunyi included, where you're just like, Oof, this is... I mean, just that alone, you, it it's feels very like uh, a right. little bit cringy, but oh, then with all the other layers. It's, it's tough. It's a really... I mean, we keep coming back to the same thing, right? With all of his movies on this podcast, which is like, I don't... At a certain point, it's like you've seen the movie, you've taken it in. Do you need to ever see it again? <laughs> right. And I'm talking when I say you, I'm talking about me. Uh, <laughs> I I do still really think this is a a great film because it has so much to say about that that kind of crisis of faith yeah. in yourself, not just religion, but just in life. And it's does come from so many different points of view. Not necessarily class or race, but definitely from men and women. And so it's a tough one for me to kind of, I don't know, grapple with of like, is it worthy? I, I think it might be. <laughs> you mentioned this. I'm, I'm a long time list, lister. I've got listeria <laughs> forever. But, uh, you, the first one you guys did was Zelig, right? Yes. And I think, I think you delved more into maybe the problematicness yeah. of it. Like, does it, uh, Carla, does it get, uh, is, is sort of becoming in your do it? You're like, all right, it's just, it's Woody again. Mm-hmm. And therefore I'm just going to, or does it, it, uh, is it kept the same where you feel the same level of like, uh, I don't know, cringiness of it? Or is it just sort of like, well, now I, I I'm a nerd enough now. I'm Am just going to kind of look at the it? movie as the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Numb. No, I think it's cringy still. Yeah. Um, but because I did love this one so much for so long, like for a while, this was one of my favorite movies across the board. Like, uh, and early on, what, what does that mean? Uh, before, like, there were, when there were grumblings of the Woody Allen stuff and not necessarily so much information or before we kind of got into this new age of awareness where we just don't put up with stuff anymore. Like, I used to really think, wow, but he writes these female characters and Hannah and her sisters so well. And I don't want to quote, don't quote me on saying that now, (laughs) today, but like certainly for a long time when I was younger, I did feel that way of like, wow, but he just understands how women behave specifically in that scene with the three sisters sitting down for lunch. It's It's a great scene. An amazing scene. It still really works for me. And I still feel like women talk like that, (laughs) Mm. you know, he did grow up. uh, His mother had seven sisters and they had mostly daughters. Yeah, so he grew up mostly around women. 
uh, if, if that means anything. Yeah. Nope. nope. Just kidding. <laughs> I think that it also is, I mean, I'm, this is maybe going too deep, but I think at the end of the movie, sorry, spoiler, like when he's talking to Dan Wiest, he has such a, like such woody flow in that moment. Like he has the yeah. best woody flow of like trying to connect to someone of the opposite sex. It's, it's just so glib and like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And I, 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 you can see it really. He does have such an understanding of how, and I think that's why he was, he's, you know, as a guy too, he's like attractive in that way. Wow. That he really knows how to connect in that way. Yeah. Oddly, I feel that in two scenes with Diane Weiss, he has more chemistry with her uh, than he does with Mia Farrow in any of their movies together. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like that they have instant chemistry. Obviously, not in the scene where the flashback where they didn't connect when she takes him to the punk club, uh, but when they're when they're back in present day. Well, not to get down on Mia Farrow, but that's kind of another conversation that we've never really gotten into. Which is, I just she's fine, but like I don't. Yeah, I never really connect with her in films in general. Diane Keaton had more, seemed to have kind of more impishness behind her. Yeah. So is Diane Weist. Well, that's why I think the Diane Keaton and Woody Allen movies, they're very much equal partners, you know, and yeah. she can, you know, give as, as good as she takes. Uh, I actually, I like, I think Mia Farrow is a little underrated and I, I like her range across all of the Woody Allen movies that she did. You know, I think yeah. she's very different in, in some of them. I did really like her in Purple Rose of Cairo. I don't know why I just said that. I think I'm still just reeling from watching <laughs> Hannah and her sisters this morning and just being so irritated that she didn't get a chance to, to do anything. <laughs> Maybe that's what that's coming from. Well, I'll throw this out there. Like, so one of the interesting ways that we get to connect with characters throughout this movie is inner monologues, which they do constantly. Does Hannah have an inner monologue at any point? I don't remember whether she does. Does Hannah? I shouldn't. I don't think so. I don't recall one. Because it feels like we get to see the the movie through Elliot's point of view, through Lee's, through Holly's, through Mickey's. You're and, right. I think, and maybe that's a. I mean, I'm sure that is a choice. Yes. And maybe that's an interesting choice. Again, though, looking at it as it's Mia Farrow in a Woody Allen movie, it just doesn't. It makes it makes my stomach turn a little bit. Yeah. It's just a bummer. She wasn't. There were other people that considered for the role of Hannah, right? I think. Oh, really? Maybe Kim Basinger, maybe. Like, oh, I, I read really that. Were, yeah, there were. It, but then but she it, did nine and a half weeks. Instead. Yeah, I did nine and a half weeks. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> another <clears throat> completely non-problematic. Um, <laughs> but I wonder. But it seems like uh, Woody had it, her in mind, Mia Farrow in mind from the beginning, which yes. is strange. Anyway, also, do you know there was a live read of this movie? As a quick digression, there was a live read, but who does no. those? Ivan Reitman or, you know, those oh, live yeah, reads? Yeah. Right. Uh, Olivia Wilde put this together. And I think she played Hannah. Oh, cool. I would love to see a tape of that. I would too. Yeah, I would like to see that as well. That's cool. Yeah, my senior in high school, the I saw this at the multiplex. Uh, which is another weird thing of like a movie like this, you know, you just, you wouldn't go to the multiplex. Now this would be direct to Netflix, right? right? Which I think like Noah Baumbach, who obviously is a big, you know, influenced by Woody Allen is kind of doing his movies direct to, to Netflix as well. Haven't heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) How many random people show up in this movie in small roles? A lot. lot (laughs) No, I want the exact number Uh, of random uh, people. 17. (laughs) John Turturro. John Turturro is the most is the most random, right? Like in you're the, just like what? and instantly recognizable yeah. as John Turturro, and like kind of doing a John Turturro rant about something, but he's on screen for about twenty seconds. Right around the child molestation bit, by the way. Right, right, <laughs> also right, right. cringe. That's also very cringy. Uh, yeah. Julie, Ju- Julie Louise Dreyfus is in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, J T. Walsh. 
Julie Kavner, Louis Black, yeah, uh, Daniel Stern. Oh, Daniel Stern. Yeah. Daniel Stern is a great little part. I think he's very funny in it. Sam Waterston was uncredited in this movie. Why? He has way bigger of a part than any of those people you just mentioned. Uh, well, I think when you're uncredited, it's because of the actor's request for some reason. You know, I, I don't know. It, I think it's an ego thing in some, in some cases, like somebody really might want their name removed from the movie and others, it's like, it's a secret cameo. Like it's a mystery but, guest through yeah, the closet. But this door. is pre-Law and Order. Like Sam Waterston was not a big star at the time. That's he so had certainly weird. worked a lot. He had been nominated for the Killing Fields like two years before this, which was the only thing that I knew him from, uh, at the time of this. Another mm-hmm. comedy. <laughs> Hilarious movie. Um, Needs a laugh track. And uh, <laughs> Carrie Fisher, of course. Yeah. Who you love? Yeah. Brooke Shields was supposed to was asked for that role. Was oh, supposed really? to be April. Yeah. Well, was yeah at least was considered for that role, mm-hmm. and then she was busy or something, she, doing a jeans ad. No, I don't know she was. <laughs> she was doing. But yeah, no, I, I think Carrie Fisher's great in it. Yeah. She's amazing. I felt like she could have been a sister. They could have added a fourth sister. <laughs> she could have been a fourth sister. Why not more sisters? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't help thinking about the ages of the actors watching it. Me too. You know, I always do that though. Uh, so Diane Weist and Barbara Hershey were both thirty. Mia Farrow was 41, Woody was 51, and uh, Carrie Fisher was 30. Really? <laughs> I think the time wow. of this. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's the 80s. Everybody looks older, yeah. you know, yeah. when you've got hats and those boxy coats and those giant glasses <laughs> that yeah. Michael Caine has, you know, uh-huh. uh, everybody looks older. But I couldn't help thinking throughout the movie that you probably want all of Holly's hats. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say, oh yeah, uh, speaking of 80s, the punk club they go to is pretty great to watch. It's yeah. literally CBGB's. It's CBGB's, yeah. yeah. It's 39 oh, really? Steps is this Canadian, I guess, band, but it is, it's so funny to watch, like they're supposed to be so dangerous right now, uh, in the time of the movie, but to watch how dated it looks is like, you're like, oh god, it's just an 80s band that just looks ridiculous. Well, yes. And also when they go to the jazz club or whatever, it's like clearly much better music. <laughs> It's true, so you're yeah. like, oh, why is Diane Weiss being so insane about this music? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, that was Bobby Shore who like had that gig at the Carlisle for uh, for years, and like is the like the height of sophistication. Um, I did find it interesting of like the the punk band. You know, seems like it's just kind of like standard alternative music. Like at that time, like as you said, they don't feel especially dangerous. But I I like that it's not like a parody of punk. Like yeah. he didn't try to write like some fake song or whatever, yeah. you know. So, you know, it probably is something that to Woody Allen's ears, like just sounded like nails on a chalkboard, I imagine. Uh, the whole movie kind of has, uh, this big band jazz, uh, classic soundtrack, you know, uh, bewitched, spotted and bewildered. I've heard that song before. Um, it had to be you, like the, those kind of standards playing throughout the, and that those kind of add to that mood as well. I think, well, Bewitched, Bothered, Bewildered is such a nice song to have in it because it is kind of, especially Michael Caine's character, but all of them are, I guess he and Diane Weiss too are, are and Woody are bewitched, bothered, and bewildered through the whole movie. And then it's, you find out what, what they do with that. I do have to ask you guys, I'm very curious about this. Do you know anybody who would be married to somebody and then would set them up with That's very weird, right? Ex-husband? <laughs> I mean I mean it's so weird that it's kind of like you I was almost like, well, I can't watch anything in this movie now. That's the weird 
That's so we're supposed to believe thing. that yeah. Mickey and Hannah were married for a while, then got divorced uh, after she had twins through artificial insemination. And then uh, both he and her sister Holly are single and she fixes them up. Yeah. Right. Weird, right? And Michael Caine sleeps with her other sister. Her other sister. Yeah. yeah. It all is just, it's all sister swapping. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess Hannah never that learns. Was the old title of the movie. Hannah never learns about the affair, you know. So right. at, at the end, we're supposed to believe that. Does she though? Like when she's looking at the pictures, mm. do you know? Did you notice? This is the first time I've noticed this. Mm-hmm. It's a picture of the three sisters. It's a picture of Michael Caine, and then it zooms into the pictures, and the and Hannah and Diane Weist go fuzzy. Oh. They go out of focus, and Lee and Michael Caine are like in focus side by side. And so I was like, does that mean that she thinks she knows something? Maybe not everything, but. Yeah. Well, she's certainly getting hints throughout the movie. You know, I think yeah. most movies would have that moment where, you know, she confronts him or, or whatever. It's interesting yeah. that if she does know or suspect it, that she accepts it. I wonder if that would have been an interesting ending where she, you, she just, you see that she knew the whole time. Yeah. And just was like, you know what? I'm. I'm, I'm the gonna, sister who keeps it together. Yeah, that's my thing, and I'm, I, but I know what the hell's going on. That would have been a a cool choice, I think, if it was like a a choice that she made. <laughs> and maybe more believable. I don't know. I yeah. don't know if it was unbelievable that stuff, but I noticed like how prominent the camera movements are in this movie. Carlo De Palma was the DP, and he uh, he was known for doing Michelangelo Antonioni's movies before working with Woody Allen. Woody Allen had been working with Gordon Willis almost exclusively since uh, Annie Hall, I think, and Gordon Willis wasn't available for this. He ended up working with Carlo De Palma for the next 11 years. But there's very much like a fly-on-the-wall documentary feeling to the camera yeah. movements. There's a lot of like very deliberate push-ins or pull-backs. And I think that's another way that we kind of feel like we're in the room with these people very consciously. I like how the actors walk behind things and like deliver their lines from behind an object. Like it happens in the kitchen behind the big mixing bowl a couple times. Like one actor still in frame and then one of the sisters like moves and stands behind that. And so you don't even get to see her face. Or then at the end, obviously with the, when Woody Allen and Diane, we see each other again and they're at the record store and they walk behind all the signs. Yeah. The sign says jazz. Yes. And she's in the jazz section. What's hilarious is that very end of that shot they're standing below a jazz sign and next to it is a Duran Duran poster. Oh, I don't really? know why. I, I was like, I wonder what that means, but it was pretty funny. That's awesome. There's also a very prominent advertisement for a Barry Gibbs solo album. There there is, you're right. There's like four, <laughs> I mean, like four gigantic pictures of Barry oh, Gibbs there. Well, they, they do have, there's a lot of shots where someone will disappear out of the shot. Yeah. When Michael Caine surprises Barbara Hershey with a kiss, spoiler alert, he does, he's disappeared just doing a voiceover. It's just a punchline oh, of a yeah. bit where he's like, I have to play this very carefully. Okay? <laughs> Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. I'm Michael Caine. Michael Caine, Michael Caine. And then he just jumps on her and kisses her. But that is that is a definite moment of like a punchline. But there is, uh, when Woody's going through his religious existential crisis, he goes to visit his parents and his dad, you don't see his dad's face for a long time. He like goes, disappears into the toilet for a long time. And, I, I, you know, I, I'm not a good enough film nerd to be like, what does this actually mean? But I, I was like, this probably means something. It really was an interesting shot. Yeah. No, I, I like the the use of the camera in that scene. I, I love that scene with the parents, by the way. Uh, how do I know why they were Nazis? I don't know. How the, I don't know. <laughs> He's so good. I don't know how the can opener works. Uh, 
But it, it kind of plays out as one shot, uh, I yeah. think, and people kind of wander in and out of the frame. Yeah. Uh, similarly, the, uh, the scene with Max von Sydow where he is uh, playing Frederick, who is Lee's older artist lover, uh, confronts her about her infidelity of like, we mostly see him from the back for that whole thing of like, he's almost blocking her throughout that. They got a standing ovation after that breakup by the crew after the breakup scene, because it was just, really, it was mostly a one. I think you're right. It was mostly one shot. I, and it yeah. came in when they were on the bed or whatever, Aww. but, but yeah, it was just so well done. Yeah. I don't know, uh, how much more sympathetic Frederick is than Elliot. You know, they're probably not either <laughs> very sympathetic, but I do think Max von Sydow gives a great oh. performance in just a few scenes in, I, in this movie. Yeah. I think that might, be, his, his entire appearance is one of the reasons I think I love the movie so much. Like, had he not, had it not been him, had it not been the lines that he, they gave him and the way he delivered them, I don't, I think the movie would, might not be one of my favorites. He's just so, Effing good in that movie. Yeah, if, he is great. If Jesus Christ came back now and saw what was going on in his name, he'd never stop throwing it up. Money, <laughs> money, 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 money. <laughs> yeah, the the Holocaust line too is one of the greatest lines. I don't know if you remember it. He's, yeah, he said he's like a program on the Holocaust. How did it happen? How did the questioner shouldn't be? How did it? I'm ruining the line, but he's like, how how why how did it happen? But why doesn't it happen more often? Like, yeah. Oh, God. Given what we know about humans. Yeah, like, given what we know about humans. Why doesn't it happen more often? It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, he is, he's great. Yeah, it's a great performance. He, I think, was only in his late 50s at the time. Max von Sydow has looked 80 since he was 30. <laughs> do you know, yeah, do you know, he did The Exorcist in 70, what? I think that's why, because he had old age makeup in The Exorcist. But he looked, yeah, it was like, oh, he's he 80. looks 70. Yeah. He was the edge of Bradley Cooper is 44. <laughs> he was the age in The Exorcist as <laughs> he looks like he's 90. Yeah. Max von Sydow still with us, 90 years old. Yeah, now yeah. he's 90. And uh, he was the star of most Ingmar Bergman movies. So I think Woody was deliberately kind of doing an homage to Bergman's Fanny and Alexander, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is another movie kind of covers a family over uh, several years. Three so Christmases, I think. I think it's three, three Christmases. Three Christmases, yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of a reference, uh, in casting mocks. Uh, you want to go chronologically through this movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's quotes. Yes. My favorite segment. (laughs) Very little quotes. Very little. Really into the movie. I think you might be surprised at how much you talked <laughs> during this movie. Oh, Though no. a lot of them were just groans or ooze, <laughs> particularly after uh, Michael Caine stuff. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you were very grossed out by that character. He's like, is he supposed to be handsome or dashing? <laughs> I think it's supposed really to be Michael Caine. I don't know. I don't he's know. Really not. <laughs> Those glasses are rough. Giant coats, giant glasses. And he doesn't say anything that's. I mean, it's funny as a character watching a mo- movie. Like it's funny because he's so awkward. But in if you were around him, you'd be like, "You're an idiot." <laughs> I know. One nerdy art direction thing, which makes them both look terrible, is I think after they first hook up, or they go to the, or they're going to go to the hotel room. They're both in like. All grays. He's in a gray suit, gray shirt, gray tie. He just looks bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, even during the opening credits, Carla said, Aw, Carrie Fisher. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, During that whole opening speech, which I kind of bastardized for uh, for my opening speech of uh, Michael Caine talking about Lee, as we see shots of Barbara Hershey, Carla said, But that perm. (laughs) 
it's really bad. It's really bad. And it's I like 1986. Some, I like some 80s fashion, but those perms were rough. <laughs> Woody, I guess, thought of Hannah as the Michael Corleone of this movie. What does that mean? <laughs> of uh, of more the character with kind of quiet strength is more seemingly oh. passive, but uh, but holding it down. I don't know if he whispered in Mia's ear to be more like Michael Corleone. Yeah. <laughs> Kill your brother. <laughs> I actually think it seems to be more improv in this movie than most Woody Allen movies, I think, in terms of like overlapping dialogue. There's almost like a an Altman-esque, you know, uh, particularly in like the family Thanksgiving scenes of a lot of people overlapping each other, which can't possibly be that tightly written. Mm. And I think in his more recent movies, it's almost like in casting younger actors, they're more respectful of the script he wrote and his scripts are not as strong anymore. And like some of those lines now in, in his more recent movies really kind of stand out as clunkers or they really feel written and more so than most Woody Allen movies the dialogue has a better flow in this and I think he does allow his actors not necessarily to improvise but just kind of make it their own put it in their own words a bit do you think I don't think he was doing that then you don't think they were having him improvise yeah really I would I would disagree but I don't know but because I wasn't there, so I don't know. <laughs> um, just because he's so notorious for like Meryl Streep's whole thing for man, which we'll talk about, I guess soon. Oh, another Woody Allen movie. Wait, there's another one. Yeah. This oh is yeah. The best? No. You're, what are you doing? Ants. Got, ants. We're doing ants. Ants. No, <laughs> ants with a Z. Uh, but Meryl Streep says in the movie that she's in, that's a Woody Allen movie, which I won't say, so you don't have okay. to delete it. <laughs> is that he was like. Taking her to task for every little syllable and really, in so you the think he's so so it's such a writing control freak he would have yeah. crafted every line. Yeah, and know? I could be wrong. Maybe he felt differently about these actors or whatever. But I mean, that's this is seven years later than Manhattan. You know, yeah. there there have been a lot of scripts written since then. I think. I mean, maybe it's just Diane Weiss is like that good of an actor. Like that there's particularly like when he's picking her up in the tower records, like the way they're overlapping each other and the way that she's reacting of like, obviously it's 95% scripted. I'm just saying that there's like a tiny amount of actors being allowed to make it their own. Like she jumps in on his line or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's what feels so effective about it. Yeah. La-di-da, (laughs) la-di-da. La la. Same movie. La la. Wrong movie. <laughs> uh, but hey, that might be why they walk behind the jazz sign because they were communicating as if they were sort of doing jazz back yeah. and forth. But I think he might be right. I think he might have really been tight on his I think so. description. Do we know that? Do we know if he ever has them improvise at all? I have read, yeah, that he tells actors that he's not as worried about the words as oh. written. Oh. That's so funny. Maybe he just didn't like Meryl Streep. <laughs> Boy, was he wrong. <laughs> What's she done? <laughs> it feels like the TV studio, that might actually be 30 Rock. Like, that looks like the uh, behind the scenes at SNL to me. I wouldn't know. I've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> Except on stage. <laughs> yes, you have, though. We went to see a, a show at, That's right. uh, at 30 Rock. I, it looks exactly like it. <laughs> Wait. If not, it's very similar the way the offices and the hallways are, are set up and there's pictures of actors on the walls and everything. So you said of J- Julia Louis-Dreyfus, she looks ridiculous. <laughs> she looks like Cindy Lauper. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like she's by far the most... 80s. 80s of anybody. Yeah. 
Uh, and then so that scene where you see Louis Brack, Louis Brack, uh, <laughs> Louis Brack, Julia Louis Dreyfus, John Turturro, et cetera, JT Walsh, Carlos said, it's like a who's who of who's going to be famous one day. <laughs> that was a good line. That was a good line. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that line, least I'm not paying child support. And oh. Carlos said, Jesus. <laughs> So he's, let's set this up properly. Well, he's just visited his sons. Yes. And he walks away and he's having one of those inner monologues talking about how Hannah's a nice lady, even though they're divorced. And at least he doesn't have to pay child support. Yeah. And then you said to me, we stopped the movie and you said, this is my problem with Woody Allen is you can't tell what the satire is. Yeah. Well, at this point, because we <laughs> know point. so much about his life. It's like, did he write that? Because he just thought that was a line that made sense? Or does he know that he sounds like a total douchebag? Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Like, or does he, as this Manhattan elite, quote unquote, like really think like, it's great that I didn't have to pay child support. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand the point of view sometimes. The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think he's probably satirizing the character. He's probably making fun of the character, but he's probably also expressing real thoughts that he really has. So I and think that's it, what I mean, yeah. like, which is true. Maybe both are true, but that's weird. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, when he sees the doctor and uh, the doctor's like, yeah, I saw your dad. And he's like, well, that guy's the real hypochondriac of the family. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you made a lot of barf sounds throughout this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Michael Caine, Barbara Hershey affair, I never, I never liked that about the movie, but it was easier to watch, watch when I was younger, I think, maybe. Hmm. Does that make sense? Do you know Michael Caine introduced Mia Farrow and Woody Allen? Really? Yes, he did. I did not know did that. You know that? No. Wow. And he has since, uh, recently refused to be in Woody films. Because of all the allegations. He's on Mia's side. Because he's on, yeah. No, uh. because of those glasses. No, I don't because of those. <laughs> I won't wear those glasses. Uh, wow. are, are these glasses an uncomfortable embarrassment? And Woody um, was like, I haven't asked you to be in a film in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody's asking. <laughs> oh, it's so much. It's There's so much there. Isn't that crazy, though? That, that he, is yeah, crazy. Yeah, Woody and, and Mia. By the way... Uh, Michael Caine famously not there to accept his Oscar in 1986 because he was shooting Jaws the Revenge at the time. <laughs> and Sigourney Weaver accepted the award on his behalf. She was presenting it. And Shirley MacLaine accepted Woody Allen's award because he also did not attend to win his uh, Best Original Screenplay. You mentioned award. this. The only the only Oscars he went to was after 9-11, right? That Woody went to? Yeah, where he, yeah. he came and gave a little speech right. there about New York and the power of movies. When Sam Waterston, the architect who's dating both uh, Diane Weist and Carrie Fisher, takes them on a tour of New York architecture, Carla said, Burger King. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was a sign that just said King, and I'm pretty sure Burger was on the other side of that sign, other side of the frame. Uh, I don't blame – see, and this is interesting too to me, maybe to nobody else. When I was younger, I thought that Sam Waterston was such a jerk. Mm -hmm. And he's definitely not like a guy that I would ever want to date. But this time around, I'm like, well, he's just hanging out with both of them at first, you know? Yeah. And he's trying to see who he likes better. Mm. Then you find out he has a wife and he is a jerk. So all those things. <laughs> but like. Who's at, schizophrenic. Right. Exactly. But at first. <laughs> at Yeah. So she's kind of being a little crazy is my point. Holly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Holly's a little, a little too in it for what it really is. So she doesn't really need to get so upset about it. That scene of the two of them trying to get dropped off second is amazing. Is really great. That's what I'm talking about. Girls, women, women will do that kind of stuff all the time. And the way that he writes that is so on point. That scene specifically. Yeah, he's such a good student of human nature. It's yeah. unbelievable how good he is at You think he'd learn more. You think he would learn more. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so good. It's so you guys mentioned this before, I think, about again, longtime lister. Um, you guys mentioned uh the difference between Larry David and Woody Allen. Like there is I think Woody you know, if hard to set all the stuff aside, but there's just something that he as uh falls not on the same side as Larry. Larry David feels like he would hurt you if he could Woody yeah. does not feel like i mean he would hurt you in other ways obviously but um yeah he's just such a good student of that to be able to see yeah. that to write dialogue around that to direct that yeah, it's great if i were to pinpoint the moment where i think diane weist won her oscar because she was a pretty obscure actor at the time you know she had done a few movies but uh really had not had a, a major part so for her to win the oscar based on this i really think it's that backseat monologue where we just see her thoughts as she's sitting yeah. in the back of Sam Waterston's car and we hear her kind of like replaying the evening. Uh, I hate my friend April. She's pushy. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of reacting to that is such like a great scene. Another monologue that could have been taken from my life when I was young <laughs> where you're just like so mad at your friend for being cooler or something yeah. in that moment. We both wondered if that bookstore was real, that where Elliot takes Lee and gets her the uh, E.E. E. Cummings book, right. or if it's still there, uh, because it is like kind of the quintessential, like what you imagine a New York bookstore would be of like ladders and books just piled everywhere. It looks so great. It does. Yeah. Did you look it up? No. What was it called? Oh, I don't know. Well... Barnes and Noble. We'll tweet about it. Barnes and What's Noble. the one that's in Union? I don't know if you guys know. There's a there's a Union Square bookstore that is similar to that. I don't know if it's based on that, but yeah, it's, it's books everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do like his effort to run into her accidentally, oh God. and then he's like, "Oh yes, that's right. You live here." Yes. For those <laughs> unfamiliar with the movie, yeah, he runs. Uh, Michael Caine is basically spying on Barbara Hershey, and he runs a couple of giant New York City blocks to cut her off and be like, oh, she's just, just standing here. It's a great, it's a great <laughs> so scene. So weird. Because he's such an awkward runner as well. <laughs> you did have a, give him a compliment uh, and said, what a great coat. Oh, <laughs> don't remember it, but I believe you. And then when we start in the bookstore, there's... Uh, oh, uh, I was talking about Barbara Hershey's coat. Oh, really? Not his coat? No. Okay. It was hers. Because okay. it was one of those, what are they called, with the giant buttons... Like a captain's coat, not a captain's coat, but like a, a pea coat or something. Or yeah, a pea coat. Yeah, like a pea coat. Yeah. yeah, the captain's coat. Cap- <laughs> you heard it here first. Again, like most of the movie is shot in the fall. Like it's just a great time in in New York City. Of like, it's hard not to feel romantic about the city mm-hmm. uh, with all the clothes they're wearing. When they start in the bookstore, there's a, a shot of a poster of a nude, and Carla said, "Boobies." <laughs> Glad you included that. <laughs> yes. Here's some of the high culture reference during this: Opera, Caravaggio, E.E. E. Cummings, Ibsen, Guggenheim, Bach. Wow. Nice. Uh, <laughs> nice. 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 That's classic. <laughs> 
But again, like, I just wonder if, like, people really talk about that, you know, or if it's just, like, him trying to be a signifier of being sophisticated. Yeah, I don't know. Same, same, same with jazz. Like, I, I even, I don't know what the album, he pulls out a jazz album. I don't know if that had significance. There was, like, some jazz album in, yeah. in, the, at the very end. I didn't recognize it either. Yeah. That's, I think that kind of goes, uh, with what I was saying earlier, where it's like, you can't tell if he's making fun of it or if he's like, no, this is my life. Yeah. <laughs> One you that know? that final uh uh sort of like late meet cute between Woody Allen and, and Diane Weist where he's finally like naturally and he's like kind of hitting on her in a in a lovable way, although kind of negging her as well, which is really he's like you, you he's like your personality was a problem. You you had no personality or something yeah. like that. Like basically, <laughs> and uh but you really see him at that moment, you're like, that is that is how you mac. That is how you like hook up with somebody. That because you wonder, you're like, does he do this? And that is how he must. He offs- makes fun of them and then it yeah, I mean, disarms it, them. Yeah, it does like, exactly. Oh. Like he's he's got he's so so glib in that way, and then you're like, oh, that is how you were so off screen. Yeah. yeah, he invented nagging. He did invent nagging. <laughs> Another kind of Woody Allen trope from this era is like various opiates as uh, punchlines. What? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it a Quaaludes? He's on yeah. Quaaludes. Oh. Yeah. That, that's something that happens in multiple movies around this time. Uh, I love when it, uh, <laughs> when it cuts to him in bed going, I'm dying. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm, I can relate to that so hard. As a classic hypochondriac? Yes. Are you uh, a hypochondriac? <laughs> yes. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, not, extreme but certainly i've gone to the doctor three times this year and they've been like you're fine oh. <laughs> that the, that scene of the tests of him the the, the montage of him getting tested is yeah. superb yeah. just those old-timey medical devices from 50s or 60s measure like his, his ear testing and all that stuff yeah. is so great now, in addition to, can you imagine setting your ex-husband up with your sister? Can you imagine forgiving your husband sleeping with your other sister? Can you imagine agreeing uh, to be the sperm donor for your friends? If we have a couple that we know yeah. came and sat in our living room and said, uh, we can't have a baby, Craig, would you be our sperm donor? How cool would you I don't be with know. that? This is a real. I, I need an real answer. Jump, jump in logic or <laughs> because, reality? Because I've had a proposal. I'm asking. <laughs> wait, wait a I'm second. Asking. What's happening? <laughs> Those aren't just regular donuts. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> I will say, my a good friend of mine, my best friend, my she's my best friend. Uh, her husband is doing that for his sister. So, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a similar story in in my own family as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it is a thing, even in closer relationships, right? So I don't know. That guy seems like a real jerk, though. <laughs> that that scene is so great of the wife clearly going through human emotions of being like, yeah. "Oh, this is I might cry," yeah. and he's like, "My first reaction is uh, flattered is that you would be flattered." <laughs> <laughs> so awkward. Well, I would be the father who would just have to masturbate into a little cup. Well, the only other scene we've seen of him, right, is him in his Corvette or whatever. Yeah, it is. driving down Beverly Hills, yeah. like yeah, snapping yeah. to the music. Yeah, <laughs> it's so <clears throat> douchey. I've said douchebag today way more than I've ever said. (laughs) Well, it's appropriate. Okay. 
Uh, that, of course, is Tony Roberts, who was also uncredited in this movie, but played Woody's friend in a number of movies, including Annie Hall, of yeah. course. Uh, Did he in real life move out to L.A., I wonder? It seems like, he <laughs> well, it seems like a recurring is thing. He's yeah. like going to L.A. or wanting to go to L.A. Maybe he's the most L.A. type person that Woody knew at the <laughs> Yeah, time. probably. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're tall. <laughs> because Woody started out writing for your show of shows on TV, I imagine that, like, in his mind, like being now, like having risen to being a producer on an SNL type show would be his nightmare. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it feels like that. That's why he wants to to make fun of that. Um, I love Daniel Stern's brief scene. I got a lot of wall space. So good. <laughs> He's really great. He's great. He's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, here's Carla again on Michael Caine. Uh, what a fucking creep. Stupid fucking face. Are we supposed to think he's handsome? By the way, because he's really repulsive. <laughs> That's wow. you distilled Michael Caine down to his essence. I like that. <laughs> Yikes, Carla. Yikes. <laughs> now, he, the thing that really broke him was Alfie in the 60s where he was the romantic lead. Right. Which I've never seen. I've never seen Alfie either. No, mm. One of my favorite lines is the she goes to uh, – Hannah goes to her parents' uh, apartment where her mother is drunk and they're having a fight uh, and she insults uh, Hannah's dad by calling him a haircut that passes for a man. Cypher, a haircut that passes for a man. It's the best. <laughs> it's really great. There's a lot of just really great individual scenes in this, and I think that scene with Hannah and her parents is one of my favorites as well. I think it's so, yeah. I mean, I don't have any kind of relationship like that in my life, but I can imagine that that would, it felt very real. And I just love that, like, she's the, again, it's another example of her character. Like, she's the daughter who comes in and so gets her mom sober, and her dad's gonna say horrible things while she's there. Like, you're probably not even my kid, <laughs> but she's just gonna take it in stride and tell everybody to calm down and go to their corners. You know, it's like a really good character development without her having to say too much. And it does feel like an authentic, like, showbiz family, too. Like, yeah. they're actors and, musicians or whatever oh and it also the mom also sets up more because we don't really get a i don't i don't know that we understand lee and hannah's relationship so much until the mom says like um that lee doesn't have the spark that hannah has like she's talented and she's great but she just doesn't have that spark right. only hannah has that spark and then you imagine like for the first time oh not that this would be a choice I would make, but maybe you can empathize more with why she would then have an affair with her husband. Right. If like she always felt like Hannah had something that she didn't have. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about that and I, I think I do buy that. Why, you know, that, that Lee is kind of envious of Hannah's life in some yeah. way and hoping that to, to get that spark from having the affair. Yeah. I buy it. At Thanksgiving, Lloyd Nolan's the dad uh does say it's like and this entire meal was cooked by Hannah <laughs> and then Hannah sort of throws it a little bit to her sisters. Uh she's yeah. like they helped, they helped as well. So maybe you could see maybe there is the, yeah. there are those seeds of that of the other two sisters resenting her. Yeah. And you get the sense that like when dad starts playing piano like that's the way that they just kind of like make up and like get back to uh to level, you know. Right. Uh, this was Lloyd Nolan's last role. He died before the movie was released. Oh. Was he old? He was, I think he was around 80. Yeah. Okay. And Margaret O'Sullivan, Mia Farrow's mom, plays her mom in this, was best known for playing Jane in the Tarzan movies. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's number seven on Craigslist. It sure so. is. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, Julie Kavner kind of plays, uh, 
Woody's second in command at this uh, TV show. And at one point she's advising him. She says, go to a whorehouse. <laughs> and Carla said, such a weird thing for a woman to say. <laughs> yeah. You also said that of uh, all of the, everybody in this movie, Julie Kavner might be the richest. And you might be right. I think she probably is, right? All of those Simpsons actors oh, yeah. have been making a bonanza for years. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. For years. Yeah, it's like... Isn't this the ninety fifth year of the Simpsons or something? <laughs> well, also they got that huge, and I don't remember the number, but it was something like two million dollars or whatever it was per episode. Per yeah, episode, t- oh. ten years ago, oh and yeah. maybe it was a million dollars. Like I don't know. Yeah, anything above a hundred dollars, and I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's interesting. You haven't seen Julie Kavner on camera in a long time. Yeah. Uh, and I think she's really great. She's just vacationing in Bali. <laughs> Her, the, the interchange about the melanoma is a great interchange. Yeah. What, that, what was that? She thinks there's, uh, she's because of what he's, he's like, yeah, I'm dying. And she's like, would you relax? Remember when you thought you had a melanoma? And he's like, the sudden appearance of black spots on the back. She's like, it was on your shirt. So people are pointing. <laughs> it's so hack. It's so dumb. It's like the fact that it is really funny. She's great at it too. When Frederick has that quote about Jesus throwing up, uh, Carla said, the quote for the times, man. <laughs> yeah, man. And then during that, Frederick and Lee seeing Carla said, yeah, of course she would. You're a weirdo. Too bad she's leaving you for another weirdo. What? <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. This is when he's like pleading her like not to leave him. <laughs> oh, and he says, I always knew you would leave me. Yeah. Or something. Of course like she would. You're a weirdo. Too bad she's leaving you for another weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> he is such a weirdo. <laughs> and when Michael Caine says, God, I'm despicable, Carla said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like when uh they're kind of having a secret phone call elliot and lee and uh he's he you know he knew he could call her because frederick goes jogging at six i don't I'm believe like, that for a second i don't believe that for a second <laughs> no. i would love to see that scene of max von Sydow <laughs> jogging no i i hope that it was shot and not used you know <laughs> Uh, I think this is you talking to Elliot again. You piece of shit person. That's your sister. It's so wrong. Oh, no. Then that would have been Lee. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, great outfit, Carrie Fisher. This is when she's auditioning for oh, the musical. Yeah, she's got a cute little skirt and some boots. Hmm. She has such a You're nice go voice. Halloween? Yeah. <laughs> go for Halloween. Who are Carrie you? Fisher from the audition Carrie scene of Anna's Sisters. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> There's still some time. It's uh, two days before Halloween, Carla. I probably got that in my closet. <laughs> this was three years before Hannah and her sister, and it feels like – or before. This was three years, three years before, before Hannah and her sisters. Okay. Hannah and her sister, the sequel. No, <laughs> When Harry Met Sally. This is three years before When Harry Met Sally. Uh, and obviously When Harry Met Sally kind of lifted, you know, uh, Woody Allen – tone you know for a lot of it but re- watching this i really felt like particularly like the central park scenes not like the woody allen patented or invented you know walking through central park but it feels like uh when harry met sally really captures the hannah and her sister's tone a lot I, that's I, I was saying really because it feels like when harry met sally is from a different era of movies but it, yeah. it's that close i didn't realize yeah 86 89 that is crazy also, Carrie Fisher looks so different. Yeah. Like, she looks great in When Harry Met Sally, but she just looks... Like she aged a lot in those three years? She maybe did a lot of drugs in that in that time or That's something. That's possible. 
A lot of catering money from a lot of catering money from yeah. on stage roll. So the lunch scene with the three sisters, you said that's the best scene in the movie. Uh, why do you think that? Oh, I just think it shows. Um, I I just think it's a great like distilling of their personalities and their not to get too actory, but like their wants as characters. Like clearly, Holly really needs her sister's approval. Uh, clearly Hannah really needs to be the one that they come to when their lives are falling apart. And then Lee's just like overwhelmed with guilt for the first time. Right. So it's like, or that we get to see at least she defends Hannah, uh, from Holly. Yeah. And that's more about her and wanting to protect her relationship with Hannah. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Interesting. Like everything that they say just pushes their characters forward as like getting closer or further away, I guess, from what they want. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, th- I agree. It's it's so well acted, so well written, yeah. and it it's all so many of the forces of the movie come clicked in that moment. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, and everybody everybody gets their moment of to chew up, which is great. Yeah, all three of them. I also really like that scene where uh, Holly is uh, telling Hannah she's auditioned for the musical and has you know just so such low self esteem about it is like trying to talk herself up. Well, uh, Mia Farrow is trying to be supportive yeah. of her, but also realistic about her expectations. Right. That was one of my favorite parts of, of Mia Farrow's because she actually, there was a little bit of bite to her in yep. that moment where she's sort of was pushing back against her sister. It was just, mm-hmm. it was an interesting moment. She was actually mean, but it gave her more to do, it felt like. And then it also gives like when Holly is like, you always criticize me, which isn't true, but it does kind of give credence to that idea of like, but you can feel it. (laughs) You can feel the criticism just slightly from Hannah. So Mickey thinks he has a brain tumor. Uh, He then gets kind of a clean bill of health. And then, uh, and then he just starts questioning like the meaning of life. Like what's the purpose uh, of all this? Which totally feels like a different movie. But is but works so well in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he buys a rifle to maybe commit suicide. Uh, he puts the gun to his head because he's sweating so much it slips off and, and shoots into the wall. Uh, and then he's so shaken by this he goes out walking in in New York and just wanders into a movie theater that happens to be showing Duck Soup by the Marx Brothers, and uh-huh. it's just a great speech about. Like, who knows, like, what the purpose of this is and where we're all heading. Uh, but we, you know, it's basically a YOLO speech. You know? uh, yeah. We only go through this once and, like, look at those people up there on the screen. They're having such a good time. Yeah. And, like, why not appreciate the things in life? And it, it really is a, a wonderful message. Yeah. What do you, the, uh, well, I like Hannah's sisters better than, especially the previous, uh, Woody Allen films. I mean, Annie Hall and Manhattan are great, but this one I think is better. But there's, there's such like goofball slapsticky things in so many Woody Allen movies. And it, this has few of those. One of which is when he pulls out the wonder bread. When he's trying to become a Catholic, he pulls out the wonder bread and the, <laughs> and the mayo, mayonnaise, the yeah. mayo like slams it right there. It's just such a like, oh boy. <laughs> it's <laughs> jokey. Yeah. yeah it's so jokey, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, this doesn't have that many. Yeah. This cuts a little deeper. It's so nice. It's like, uh, it's so nice. It's so, it's hopeful. It's more hopeful than a lot of, we don't always get to see his characters get to that point where he can be like, you know what? I'm going to make the active choice to not like let this freak me out for the rest of my life. And I'm going to just enjoy it. 
just enjoy the ride. It's really well done. And like seeing that duck suit play while he's saying it is such a cool way to do it. It's not his movie that he's showing us. It's another film. I don't know. There's just, it's, yeah, it really makes, uh, Hannah and, Hannah and her sisters like, uh, it takes it from like, uh, a good movie to really great to, mm. to verbalize that message, I think. And then we wind up in one more family Thanksgiving to kind of wrap it up. Um, we see Hannah and Elliot together and Carla said that creep's still around. Poor Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Hannah. And, uh, obviously they have kids, but you know, it's, it's shot supposedly over three years, but probably in real time, you know, shot in eight weeks or whatever. So you said those kids haven't grown an inch in two years. <laughs> Carla, <laughs> Mystery science theater, 3000, <laughs> one woman. You're welcome. <laughs> And the final scene, uh, Holly, uh, arrives late. Uh, we see her kind of primping in the mirror and then, uh, Woody Allen shows up in the mirror behind her, starts kissing her neck a lot. Carla said, Oh, wet fish. Stop kissing her. <laughs> he is. He He's always, a noisy kisser, isn't he, he? in every movie where he kisses someone, it sounds the same and it always makes me want to burn. I'm always foleyed. I know. It was like so foley, but it's just him doing the foley oh, in no. the sound booth. I, can we do one more take of those kisses? One because more, more I think I, I, I didn't get it wet enough. Uh, but then she says, I'm pregnant, you know, and we know from before that he's supposedly infertile. Yeah. Uh, and Carla said, Oh, I know. It's so nice and hopeful. Again, it's very hopeful. Yeah. Like he supposedly couldn't have kids. Couldn't have kids. What did you think of it? I mean, because they, he, they changed the ending supposedly. What did you, are you, are you glad they had a happy ending or do you wish they had had the downer ending that he, was supposed to have, I guess. I'm I'm very happy it was happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy it was happy as well. What do you think? I think so too. I I I get you know when a movie has a downer ending, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's bold. like life. <laughs> but then I'm such a sucker, you know. I, yeah. yeah, it's I I do I liked I like that I like that that and maybe it was because he came around, he became a more normal person, and yeah. it, it was a it was a um, you know it was kind of his reward and her reward for. Not normal, but finding, you know, becoming a more complete person, each of them. It it ends on a note of we've got to go through life with hopefulness. That hopefulness, you know, we we will have that baby. We will find true love. Yeah. You know, I will have a rewarding, you know, work life or whatever. Uh, I, I will go see duck soup in the movies, you know, yeah. like, uh, and I, I think it, it kind of just ends on a note of optimism. That's nice. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. It's one thing we didn't talk about. And I want to talk about real quick before we wrap this up was Lee's character. Did you get the sense that she was going to be just jumping from relationship to relationship? Was that kind of like the pattern? Do you think for her? Yeah, because, uh, do we do we even really get a resolution for her in that last scene? She's with somebody. Oh, like, she's with another she's guy, with another but we never even hear him say anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's true love for her. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't seem it. And it was because she was sober, and then like when she when they're dancing, when she and Michael Elliott are dancing, and like she's drinking with him or whatever, it just gave me the sense of like, oh, she's just always falling off the wagon. Yeah, gonna kind of. Do you think maybe she has realized from the Elliot relationship that the, she didn't, she doesn't need someone like that? She doesn't, she doesn't need, um, 
Frederick. She doesn't need Elliot. Maybe yeah. she just, it's okay if she bounces between relationships. She's just happy on her own. Or do you feel like she's going to get back into some destructive relationships? I don't know. I hope for her that she, the first thing you said. <laughs> <laughs> first thing that she's, yeah. If we're going to end on a hopeful note, let's yeah. say that Lee and her husband lived together forever and it was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's still like the fly on the wall feeling that this movie kind of creates, which is like we're allowed to drop in these people's lives for two years, and then yeah. like who knows what happens beyond that, right? Because I definitely get the sense that Hannah's n- Hannah and Elliot are going to be together until Elliot divorces her. Like she's never <laughs> going to leave him, right? Like that's not her thing, right? Yeah, and know. the hope is he realizes what he has, and right, he was an idiot. Al, is this movie an A for you? It would be an A. This is definitely, yeah, what am I, I? I'm not a huge, I'm not as big a list person as, as Craig, but it would be in my top 12. I don't know, <laughs> 10. It was That's fair. In my top 10. Yeah. My top 10, I think. Do you have a single movie that you know is number one for you or? Uh, it rotates. There's probably, uh, it goes between, and it's, it, I mean, it's horrible. Uh, the 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 mixture will you'll you'll probably be aghast, but it would be something like Little Miss Sunshine is up there. Mm-hmm. I really love Sound of Music. Uh, Naked Gun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, audition. I love. I really love horror oh. movies a lot, and that is. You guys Ooh. talked about Hereditary. I know a little bit. So I'll, at some point, if you ever want to just up up off camera talk about movies, I would love to talk oh. about horror movies. Audition is some sick shit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's another romantic comedy, except for all the horrible. Carla, you want to give this a letter grade? I will give it an A. Uh, begrudgingly yeah it's still really i mean again it didn't it doesn't connect with me as much as it used to but it's still really well done and i think it's maybe the only woody allen film that i would ever watch again what does that a stand for stands for um anna and her sisters nice (laughs) i'm gonna move it down just slightly because i think there are you know now some aspects that don't hold up as well but Mm -hmm. i think it's a really well-constructed movie with great performances and just great individual memorable scenes and the fact that we're even wondering what happens to some characters after the credits roll you know means that these characters have stuck with us and uh, and affected us and i again really love that sentiment that the the movie ends on but i think i i prefer annie hall a little more you know i think it's uh in terms of just being a end-to-end funny movie which i think has a, a similar feeling of like you know life takes whatever turns that it does and we've got to you know appreciate what we have i think it's a similar message and uh annie hall this time held up just a little better for me but i'm gonna move Hannah down between. <laughs> Al's so disappointed. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to move it after E.T. and ahead of Goodfellas. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it would be around number 20 in, okay. in the end. So Ooh. down from 10 wow. to 20. was wow. not expecting that. How does it feel to be wrong? <laughs> <laughs> this is clearly a top 12 movie. It's totally top 12. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's on everybody's top 12 list. Al, you want to improvise a little scene with us? I would be honored. Yeah. Okay. Let's see this thing. Um, I just hate the way that Dusty and Frederick ended things. So, you know, uh, Dusty is the rock star who's like oh. trying to get. <laughs> I was trying to figure out who those characters were. 
<laughs> would you like to play Daniel Stern or would you like to play Max von Sydow? Well, I'll do either one. Which would you prefer? Uh, why don't you be Frederick and I'll be Dusty and okay. you can be Lee, okay. uh, who's still with Frederick in this scenario. Okay. Hey man, I feel like we didn't, uh, didn't really hit, hit it off last time. Uh, no, I, I, I'm not looking to hide it off. I'm looking to have you leave. Okay. Well, like we don't have to be best friends or anything. Yeah. Why don't you t- you 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 can take a seat. Go ahead and here's some. Can I? Yeah. Of course. I would prefer you stood. Oh, okay. I'll stand, man. I I don't care. You know. Um. I just got a lot of wall space. You know. I was telling you about that before, but I can do a smaller picture. I I I don't sell my art by the square meter. Frederick, you really need the money. We really need the money. The money's not worth it. I, I please ask him to leave, or I'll continue to abuse him. Um. Yes, that's fine. We can definitely find something appropriate for your space. What about one of these nudes? Um. That's They're not for sale. That's me. I'm. I can tell that it's you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. you can yeah. Tell? You really captured her perm well. Oh. <laughs> what? Would please? You would need to leave now. Um. I. Th- I think. Look, we all have something in common, right? I mean, we've got to. We're all as artists. As, right. As much as an eagle has in common with a paramecium. Well, for example, I mean, we've all had an affair at one time or another in our lives, right? You, sure. Like, I'm on the road all the time, man. Did you just say you had an affair? Well, I'm just saying. I'm just trying to find common ground that we can all, like, <gasps> You've been relate. kissed. I can tell. <laughs> My angry Swedish sense can tell. I, I, okay. I'm just saying, like. Should I leave now? Or? No, but if you were to have an affair with someone, say it was someone like me, Dusty. Well, you're very attractive. Thank sure. You. If you were to have an affair, but you still went home to the person that you were with every night, that's okay, right? Yeah, that's what I, you know, I go out on the road. I leave my wife and kids back here in New York. You know? Hey, what about this blue one? You were disgusting. I like the blue one. What's your problem with me, man? We, I, you, you're, you're, I do not sell by the meter. I do not sell by the color. You, what is you, who's your favorite artist? Uh, I don't know. Warhol? Leave. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. Don't say Warhol. You got a problem with Warhol? Yes. You're only saying that because he's... Campbell's soup, man. Oh, God. That blue one we, we can sell to you for, um, for $80,000. Sold. I got 80,000 cash right here. The price is just doubled. 160? I got that too. You really shouldn't be carrying that much cash in this neighborhood. I don't care, man. Uh, I got a death wish. <laughs> Listen, Lee, I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting on my Reebok trainers. I'm going outside for a run. <laughs> you jog? Yes, isn't it obvious? Look at my short you shorts. You have a heart attack, man. You're not, you're I've, old. I've had three today. I'm fine. What are you, like 85? 84. He really just walks fast. Yes. I'm wearing makeup so I look like I'm 44. Yeah, that's not jogging. All right, I'll sell you the painting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Al, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, man. That was so fun. Uh, fun. Where can people see you perform in Los Angeles? And what else is going on that you've written or other companies of Baby Wants Candy going on around the world? Yeah, if you're in Chicago, L.A., or New York, come uh, Baby Wants Candy. has shows every week. And then uh, we do a spinoff show called Shamilton, which is an improvised (laughs) Hamilton. Genius. 
Um, and then if you're, uh, keep an eye for, we do a, a musical called Thrones. That's a musical based on Game of Thrones. That's going to be in Vienna. All our Vienna fans, I know you get a lot. <laughs> sure. I, I looked at your map. And then if you're in Australia, we have, um, uh, 50 Shades, our 50 Shades parody. That's so cool. But if you're in Scotland, everybody, Craig and I were in Scotland together for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Carla, I don't know if you've ever been. It's amazing. A beautiful city. I would encourage you, go as a performer, go as an, uh, as an audience member. It's amazing. And then uh, UCB every week. You UCB perform, every right? week in LA. Okay. And is there a Baby Wants Candy podcast going on too? Oh, there is. Thank yeah. you, Craig, for asking. Yeah, there's a Baby Wants Candy podcast. We uh, we improvise songs and musicals based on uh, on audience and, and our guest suggestions. Amazing. Uh, Baby Wants Candy is probably the longest running and most talented uh, musical improv uh, group around. Uh, the people in it now, these kids are unbelievably talented, like yeah, so funny and great singers so uh see them they've ruined me for all other musical improv yeah we're spoiled thank you carla we're gonna press on deeper into the top 10 the next movie is we're having a returning guest she is my sister Uh, liz kikowski and we're gonna do her favorite movie it's inconceivable as to what this movie might be (laughs) uh this is a 1987 Comedy fantasy directed by Rob Reiner, written by William Goldman, starring Carrie Elways and Robin Wright. Yep. It's called The Princess Bride. Oh, were you asking me to name it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was seeing if, whether you can get it or not. Do you like Princess Bride, Al? I love it. And Wallace Shawn has such a great cameo in a Woody film as well. That's right. Well, Wallace Shawn is going to be the next two movies we do, Whoa, as a matter of fact. Look what you just figured out for what? us. <laughs> and you brought donuts. What's happening? So it's Toy Story 2 and Vanya on 42nd Street. <laughs> no, uh, join us next week for The Princess Bride. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>